Well, I praise God. Uh, so I normally preach from my tablet, and about 20, or no, about 10 minutes before the service, all of a sudden my Word document went totally blank. Actually, not totally blank. I lost parts moment by moment, and I'm like, undo, undo, and that's all I know to do on a computer, and that wasn't enough. But I had just printed. <laughs> I'm telling you, this would have been a hard week <laughs> to... Uh, do anything. So uh, so we come to the end of Isaiah today. We're in chapter 65 and 66. And, and last week we talked a little bit about um, poetry, Hebrew poetry, and how uh, so often uh, they will kind of bracket thoughts together in, in, in different parts of the passage. So they, they'll, there'll be these parallel thoughts um, that, that support each other, but they'll be in different places. Um, Today, there's a lot of that, so I hope you have your Bibles or, or at least a Bible on your phone. Um, the, the verses will be on the screen, but we're going to jump all over. It would really help you, I think, to be in your Bible. So hopefully you're caffeinated and ready to pay attention because um, we're going to be all over the place here. But you might remember last week uh, the prayer uh, from the prophet asking God to come down and save. And the question asked in the middle of his prayer was, shall we be saved? Or, or, or how shall we be saved? Or God, are you going to save us? And these final two chapters of the book of Isaiah are an emphatic yes. Yes, God will save, but he's going to do much more than, than just come down and save his people we find out that, that God will make all things new. So we'll start off in 65, 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. How, how good do the new heavens and new earth sound right now in 2021? Like, I am ready for that to happen, right? Verse 17 flashes us all the way back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know he, he created, and what he created was good. And then humanity, you know the story. Humanity, through Adam, made the choice to rebel against the creator. And creation was marred by sin. And, and you and I feel the impact of that today. We've seen in Isaiah how bad it's gotten and in 65 and 66, in many ways, mirror chapter 1. Like you might want to go back this afternoon and read chapter 1 and see how many parallels there are here. Right? I won't go through all of them, but, but chapter 1 tells us that, that God has reared children that have rebelled against him. That, that they have forsaken their God. He talks about offering sacrifices, but they're, they're only going through the motions of religion. Right? It's, it's totally rote for them. It has nothing to do with devotion to Yahweh. The people, they're paying lip service to God, but their hearts are far from him. And in today's chapters, we see the choice of the people. Right? We all choose to go our own way. And as we've seen throughout this book, there's no hope at the people rising above the mess that we've made for ourselves. That, that we... We're broken, and only God can redeem people, and God will save. Right? He will make the new heavens and the new earth, this creation 2.0, so to speak. 
And it'll be so good that verse 17 says that we won't even remember the former things. Right? We, we won't remember what it's like because what he's made is so incredible. Now, is that literal? I don't know. This is poetry, right? It could be literal. But the point that he's making is what the new heavens and new earth that he will make, it will blow away what we know now. Verse 18, it says, But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. So God, God's describing here uh, something to us that is unlike anything that we know. So he's got to use words. He's got to find ways to, to paint these pictures for us uh, of things that we do know to help us understand kind of what it will be like. Right? We can imagine uh, a place without tears, though it, it sounds impossible to us. Um, he goes on, he, he describes that there'll be no more death. And again, he uses imagery that we understand. So he says there will be no infants who only live a few days. Now, in America, uh, in 2021, we're not used to infants only living a few days. But it wasn't that long ago, right, that, that infants would die regularly, shortly after birth. He goes on, he, he says that the, the, the man who lives to be 100 will be called a young man. I don't know if anybody in the room thinks of someone at 100 as young, right? E even if you're like 80, my guess is you still say, 100, that's pretty old, right? But, but here he says, no, the, the guy who dies at 100, he'll be considered a young man. No, he, he's not saying that people are going to die at 100. He's, he's painting this picture to help us understand how, how different it will be, how strange it would be if this young man at 100 years old were to die. This is, this is poetry. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. The work that, that will be done, what, what, what people put their hands to, it will be accomplished. We remember when sin entered, the curse was given. We probably remember Adam's curse. He's told working the ground is going to be hard. It's going to be this hard labor. You're going to battle thorns and, and thistles and briars. You're going to work and work and work and fight this dirt just to get a crop to come up. Man, we, we know what that's like today. Right, to, to feel like, man, did I, did I accomplish anything? Right? If you're married and your spouse comes home and they look around and they're like, did you get anything done today? You can just say, man, sin has made it really hard. <laughs> it will not be that way in the new heavens and the new earth. Right? You won't have a day like, like I do now where I get to the end like, man, I didn't accomplish half of what I had hoped to do. Verse 24, he says, before they call, I will answer, answer while they're yet speaking, 
I will hear. It wasn't that long ago, just back in chapter 40, the people complained that God wasn't responding to them. It was like, like they felt that God was ignoring them, that he didn't even hear them possibly. Well, this will not be the case with God and his people in the new creation. But this image here is he answers immediately. And, and not only does he answer right away, but it's almost like he cuts them off mid-sentence and, 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 and responds to them. Right? There's this closeness here. And my guess is you've experienced something kind of like that before. Like, like with somebody really close, with a really good friend, or if you're married, perhaps it's your spouse, but you've just spent so much time together that, that they can start a sentence, and maybe not all the time, but a lot of times, you, you know where they're going. Matt Eldridge, our, our youth pastor and I, we've had that for years, and it's kind of weird sometimes. Like one of us will walk in the office, and the other will go, they'll just start a sentence. Like I'll say, we need, and he's like, oh my gosh, you're right. We need to talk about the Christmas Eve service and blah, 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 right? That, that happens with us, and actually I spiritualize that. It's probably more like, I'll say, we need, and he goes, to go get tacos at Don Pedro's together. Yes, you're right, we do. But, but you, you know what this is like. Right? This happens with, with someone that you're close with, and this description here is, is God right with his people. He knows them. He hears them. Right? There's no distance. We feel a distance with God. Right? At times we, we feel like God is far off, even if we know he is right with us. Even if you follow Christ for decades, you've certainly experienced times where he does not feel close. And for Israel, when God had them make the, the tabernacle, which was this portable temple that, that went with them, when he made them, uh, when he had them make the tabernacle, there was this sense of closeness because God was finally, he, he was in their midst. Right? They could see like God's presence is in the tabernacle right now. And yet there still was this distance. There were walls in the tabernacle keeping the people out. There was, there was the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could go into to be in the very presence of God. And that was just once a year. And he had to do all these sacrifices just to make himself clean so that he could go into the temple. So even though he was near there was this great distance because of sin. But there will be no more distance between God and his people. Verse 25 goes on. It says, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. And we've read these words in verse 25. They were back from verse 11, scattered about verse or chapter 11. Um, and you might remember that picture of peace in chapter 11, like it almost fairy tale, like it seems so, or it is so foreign to what we know, that sin and evil will just not be present. I was imagining just yesterday, like how different our world would be if God took like just one, one sin, one type of sin, or like category of sin, and just eliminated that from our world. Like, like imagine if all greed he just got rid of all greed all of a sudden. Like, think about how different our world would be. You would never, you would never question a, tr a transaction, buying or selling. Like, you, you wouldn't worry that, that, that you're getting ripped off. Right? Politicians would only run to serve people. How great would that be? Corporations would, would be good to their customers just to be good to their customers, not to suck more money from us. 
It would change every relationship. Or, or imagine a world without sexual sin. Right? Like, like so much abuse would just be eliminated. No, no, no assaults. Uh, uh, abortion numbers would just plummet. Dating would change. Right? Think about how healthy marriages would be. Right? I imagine there'd be almost no divorce. And, and the impact that this would have on kids and, and really generations, it'd be incredible. And we could go on and on. We could, we could, we could take, man, what if God eliminated this sin? What if God took away this sin? Any one of those would be, it would make our world so amazing to us. And, and yet this is far beyond that. No, he's making all things new. Nothing marred by sin. No more evil. No more death. No more sickness. No pain. No tears. That is what God will do. And it will be unlike anything that we know. So, so who will be there? 65.1, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. Right? He, was, he was ready to, to be sought by people that weren't even looking for him. God wasn't on their radar Right, people that were actually rebels against God, people who were seeking their own way, their own devices, as he says. And the prophet in these chapters, I think he, he gives us a picture of two different ways that we do that, that we seek our own way. 65.3, it describes their own methods of worship. It wasn't what God commanded. They were making up their own offerings and sacrifices and rituals. But they made up their own sacred places, their sacred gardens. That's one way to rebel against God, right? Just do what you like, worship what you like, ascribe value to what you want to ascribe value to. Decide what and how you worship. And in the next chapter, 66.3, here's the other way that he gives us. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck, he who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood, he who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. Right? And these are sacrifices, these are offerings that were commanded by Yahweh, and yet we can see that each one displeases God. So technically, they did the prescribed act of worship that God had commanded, but they might as well have been worshiping an idol. Their worship was rote. They used what God told them to do, the offerings, the sacrifices, but, but they were using it to manipulate God, to control God, to get God to do what, what they wanted him to do. Their worship was about them and what they, they wanted to get from God. So it was really no different than idol worship. And we've seen this way many times in Isaiah, right? They knew the right motions to go through, but it wasn't worship. They spoke the right words. They attended maybe religious events that appeared to be God honoring. So externally, they look righteous by doing what God had commanded, but their hearts were so far from God that it was just as bad as a pagan worship. So he gives us these two ways. To rebel. The first, just make up, worship whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Or the second, try to look religious, go through the motions of worshiping God, trying to control him without any devotion to him. 
in those two ways we see today still. Right? Either I'm going to worship what I want, ascribe value to what I want, or I'm going to look really religious. I'm going to play the religious game without any devotion to God. Or, or maybe sometimes we even intermix those two things. 66.3 goes on to say this, the, the end of the verse there. It says, these have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. And we, we see these two words here that contrast us and God, chose and delight. So the, the first chose or chosen at the end of 66.3, they've chosen their own ways. Right? All rebellion is choosing your own way. No matter how it's packaged, that's what's happening. It's choosing to ignore God and follow your own way rather than God's way. And then the end of verse 4 says, they chose that which I did not delight in. But they weren't choosing what God loves, what God says is good. And this is the choice that we all make. We, we all choose what we delight in, not what God delights in. We've chosen pleasure and comfort and success and security. We run after whatever we believe will delight our soul. And what we're choosing to do is to rebel against God. We've all chosen sin rather than following Yahweh. And he tells us it's an abomination. But this is our natural bent. This is what we hunger for. We don't hunger for the ways of God. We, we hunger for, for, for our own ways. We don't hunger for what God delights in. And this rebellion is costly. It makes us, as we read last week, it makes us God's enemy. 65 verses 11 and 12. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen, but you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Rebellion, scripture's clear, leaves us dead in sin. Uh, Isaiah has gone to great efforts to help us understand that we can't save ourselves. Hence the pleading that we read about last week in the prayer for God to come down and save his people because we cannot do anything about the brokenness that we find ourselves in, that we've chosen. And we see choosing and delighting in, in both of these chapters. And what's clear when these words are used about humanity is, is that we've all made the choice to ignore God, to rebel against him and delight in sin. And our choice excludes us from God's creation. 65, 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for breaking of spirit. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse, and the Lord God will put you to death, but his servants he will call by another name, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the, truth, or by the God of truth, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. 13, 14, and 15, it's, it's just this picture of hell. 
It's this constant, unending hunger and thirst, this crying out and a a wailing in agonizing pain, overwhelmed by shame, cut off from God, cursed by God. And this picture is uncomfortable for us. No one in this room likes that. I don't. I don't want that for anyone. And yet, I think all of us also realize how critical justice is, how, 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 how important it is that, that sin is accounted for. Right? We want justice when someone wrongs us, right? when someone does something evil. Uh, when we're wronged, we, we cry out for justice. When someone uh, does wrong, it doesn't matter what their upbringing was. Right? It doesn't matter what influenced their choices or what their day was like. We want justice. Uh, really early in the pandemic, I was uh, driving my truck. I was near um, Thatcher's Coffee, which is uh, next to that Fred Myers on, on Highway 14, kind of near I-5, if you know the, the area. So I'm pulling up to a red light. I'm going to turn right. Um, and, and so I, I get there. I'm in the right turn lane, and and then I inch forward, I don't know, a couple feet maybe, and then come to a stop because the car is coming, and bam, I I get hit. I get rear-ended, right? It wasn't wasn't fast. The guy was probably going like three miles an hour, but it was shocking to me, and I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, that happens, right? Accidents happen. So I'm, I'm trying to pull over somewhere safe for us to, you know, get out and exchange information. And I, I look in my rear view, and the, the guy that hit me, I mean, he's like 18, 19 years old. Like, I'm, I, I feel a little bad for him, right? Like, this stinks. He's got to go home, probably tell mom and dad what happened. And I, I'm just, I'm looking in the rear view while paying attention to where I'm going. Um, and, and he's just in shock. Like, you, his face is like, what happened? And, 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 then I, and then I fully pull over, look up again in the rear view, and I see his face, and it's like all of a sudden he snaps out of it. Like I, I think his face even wiggled. And, and he goes like that, and then he flips a Yui before I, can, before I know it. I'm like, whoa, like instant justice, right, in me. So I flip a Yui, right, because <laughs> I'm going to get my justice. <laughs> so I go chasing this guy as safely as possible, and and I'm, I'm like talking to Siri, and I'm like, uh, Siri, dial 911. Well, don't dial 911. Um, I, I yell that, and Siri's like, I don't understand, or whatever Siri said to me. And finally, I get her to dial 911, and I get the, the, the 911 operator or dispatch, whatever they are. Um, and, and she's like trying to talk me out of this. She's like, sir, it's really not a good idea for you to try and chase down uh, uh, the other driver. And I'm like trying to be really polite and argue with her. And finally, after like maybe 30 seconds, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty stupid. Plus, I couldn't see where the guy was anymore, so he was long gone. Um, but man, when he flipped that Yui, I wanted justice, right? And evil, I mean, is that an, a huge evil? No, but even in that, like, I wanted justice, right? When, when people choose evil, we want the perpetrator to be held accountable for their choices. And shouldn't we expect that of God, right? Shouldn't we expect that God will hold people accountable for their sin. The greatest evil ever is rebelling against God. Don't we expect God to be just? I'm sure this comes as no surprise to us, but in our country, um, a huge percentage of people believe in heaven. It's something like 80% or 85% of people believe that there is a heaven. A tiny percentage believes in hell. 
how would this new heaven and new earth even exist if there were injustices that God didn't take care of? It certainly couldn't be anything like what the prophet has described. If, if, if God just looked the other way on some sins, right? if he didn't account for every evil, how could we even call him good? How could he be loving? How could he really save his people from sin if it hasn't been totally dealt with? And, and some of you, um, while I don't know everyone's story, uh, I'm sure in a room this size, uh, some of you have been through evil, evil things done to you. Uh, you've been so wronged that, that maybe you've never even told anyone else uh, about some of the things that have happened in your life. And if, if God doesn't account for those, right? if justice isn't paid, then heaven cannot be what's described here. Evil must be taken care of. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, man, I've done evil. I've done evil to others, and all sin needs to be dealt with, including the sin you've chosen, including the sin that I've chosen. In these final chapters, we see that, that God makes a choice too. He will choose, and, and we'll see what he delights in. And given our choice to reject God, what he delights in is shocking. What he chooses is shocking. 65, 8, thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there's a blessing in it, so I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it. My servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks. In the valley of Acre, a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. He delights in saving a people to himself, for himself. He, he's going to save a, a remnant here, right? He pictures this, this cluster of grapes. He's like, no, don't destroy it. I'm going to save some from that. He, he delights in pouring out his love for a people that do not deserve it. And, and remember, right, these are people that did not choose him. They're people who weren't looking for God. And not only that, but when he called, they didn't respond these are people that rejected him and, and rebelled against him. So imagine with me for a moment that it's, it's your birthday, right? And you haven't had a birthday party in, in years, but you're like, this is kind of a big one. I should have a party this year. So naturally, you start thinking about the people that you're going to invite, right? You invite people that you just love spending time with, right? You're going to invite that friend that, that just tells great stories and always makes you laugh. You're going you're gonna to invite people that you've just known for so long, and even though you don't get to see each other a ton, like you, you just, you always are right where you left off. But would you invite the person in life who ignores you? Or will you invite the person who avoids you? Or, or the person that always has an excuse as to why they can't get together with you? Will you invite the person that, that flipped you off that one time? Will you invite the person who openly mocks you? Like, no. Right? You're not, you're not going to gather those people to celebrate your birthday with you, even though the party would just last a few, other, a few hours. And yet God gathers those who've rejected him to be his people forever. Right? Not because they ever chose him, but he chose them. Right? This is the language of Scripture, that, that God will choose people to save. And, and, and we might hear that, 
and think, that's not fair that God chooses who he will save. And you are right. That is not a description of fairness. It's a description of grace. Like we, like we sang, grace, grace, God's grace. We've, we've chosen sin and Jesus has taken our place and given us a way to be reconciled to the God that we didn't choose, but he chose us and it's not fair. Right? Fair is getting what we deserve instead of his grace and his mercy, instead of Jesus substituting himself in our place. So the choice that God made is to save those who were not worthy those who weren't lovely, those who didn't bring great value to his kingdom, those who did not love him. And let's look at just a couple ways Isaiah describes that the people that God has chosen. Uh, chapter 66, verse 2. It says, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Just a few verses later, verse, 60, uh, verse, verse 5 of chapter 66, it starts off, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Right? These descriptions of God's people in these chapters are, are pretty simple. There's nothing flashy about this. Nothing jumps off the page and goes, oh yeah, it makes sense that, that he chose them. No, they're, they're just humble before the Lord. Twice it says they tremble before his word. Because God's people respond to his word. God's people have ears to hear his word and they respond. They're obedient to their Lord. And we don't come to the relationship with this, with this great resume that shows God, you ought to choose me. I would be such a great part of your team. No. And yet, he rejoices over us. Back in, back in verse 19, we read that earlier, chapter 65, he experiences gladness in his people. He delights in his people who he has radically changed from, from these selfish self-worshippers to worshipers of Yahweh. Chapter 66, verse 22, says, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring, right, the seed that he has promised, your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. In the new heavens and new earth, will be, be the people that God has made his own. He has chosen people that did not choose him, people that did not call out to him, and yet he delights to save them and make them his children. They will be his people. He will be their God. He's given them hearts devoted to him. And it says it'll be like just one Sabbath to the next, this, like this endless repeat of, of this Sabbath rest, of this worshiping of God. We'll just be blown away by his majesty, delighting in, in who he is for eternity. And, and who knows? Maybe we will look back and we'll, we'll remember. Like maybe we'll remember. Maybe we'll remember this today, talking about the new heavens and, and the new earth as we wrap up Isaiah, right? And maybe we'll laugh at how, how tiny our imaginations were, right? Maybe one of you will come to me and say, Greg, remember when you tried to describe the new heavens and the new earth to us? Man, good try. <laughs> that wasn't very good. And we'll laugh together because it will be so much better than we understand. I guarantee that many of us will, will be really quick to confess that, that somehow in this life we thought we would get bored in heaven. 
oh, how wrong that thought is. We will not get bored. We will marvel that God in his grace chose to save, that Jesus condescended, that he took on flesh, that every day of his life he suffered, that he submitted himself to death on a cross in our place, that he was buried. And then on the third day he shocked the world by rising from the dead. And his people have testified to that ever since then, to the God who lives to the God who saves, testifying about the God who will make all things new. 66, 18 through 21, we don't have time to get into it, but it, but it, it speaks to that, that God's people will be the ones to go to the nations, that, that God's people will be this royal priesthood that go from continent to continent, from coast to coast, telling every tribe and tongue, because everyone needs to hear about the God who didn't only come down to save, but the God who is making all things new. Praise the Lord. And all of this is so, so good. And we come to the, the very end of the book. And it's this vision that, that's pretty unexpected with, with, what, uh, with what just preceded it. It's startling. It's sobering. Verse 24 of chapter 66 says, And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. What I picture is this battlefield. And I'm like, we're like walking through the, the losing side. And there's, it's a short description, but it's gruesome. There's just bodies everywhere. All these who rebelled. Sin has to be paid for. Right? If sin isn't judged, God's people would never really be saved. Right? If sin isn't extinguished, his people would not be rescued. There could not be a new heavens and new earth. And the good news is that God has made a choice to reach out in his grace and save. And I wonder, have you responded to God's choice to offer his son in your place to save you? Have you humbled yourself before the Lord? Have you confessed that you've chosen your own way? Do you tremble at his word by obeying him? Praise God that he delights in saving people. Praise God that he's gathering a people to himself from all over the globe. Praise God that he chooses to save and forgive. And praise God that this world we're in is not it. Praise God that he, he is making all things new, that there will be a new heavens and a new earth where God will dwell with his people and he will be our God. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for giving us this book of Isaiah. It has been hard at times to deal with the reality of sin and where that leaves us. And yet it's been so good for us because your salvation shines so brightly through. God, we are, we're blown away that, that Jesus, you would come down and live for us and die for us and, and, and conquer death by raising from the dead, that, that you would offer us a way to be reconciled to God, that we can, be, we can be forgiven rebels, Lord. Jesus, will we be a people that live for you, a people that, that are humble before you, that respond to your word, that, that just love to obey you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.